Hello everyone, my name is Akin Laulogunde. Welcome to the episode 3 of the True Boy Podcast. We are we present global news, updates, rumors, and analysis regarding the beautiful game of football, also popularly known as soccer. Today on the show, we'll be discussing the semi-final and final matches of the UEFA Euro 2020 tournament. Thank you for your time. Let's get to it. Looking into the two semi-finals, first we have Espanyol, also known as Spain, versus the Azuris of Italy. We, on the podcast, initially gave a, production of, a prediction of 3-1 win for Italy. But after regulation time, the match ended 1-1, with Spain controlling possession for long periods. Spain asserted dominance in the first half, concerning 65% of the possession, and has shooting Italy 5-1, with Pedri's creative passing occasionally unlocking the, the Italian's defense with astonishing ease. Federico Chiesa, Chiesa scored for Italy in the 68th minute, while substitute Alvaro Morata, the much maligned center forward of Spain, equalizing for Spain in the 88th minute. Initially, Spain forced nine from information seemed to confuse the Azuris. The defensive partnership duo of Chiellini and Bonucci appeared to look uncertain at times, not knowing whether to track to drop back or track Daniel Mo's deep runs into their box. And this enabled each this the Spanish to maintain superior ball possession, control vast amounts of territory, and also maintain midfield mobility. Spain's presence also drew risky clearances from the Italian defenders, which created Spain's the best chance of the game so far for the Spanish when Ferran Torres shots required a low save from Gigi Donnarumma. Chiesa scored his goal of the tournament, the second goal of the tournament in the 68th minute, and then Morata, who came on as a substitute for Spain. His movements of the ball on and off the ball, vertically stretched the Italian defense, which was something Spain had the passing mobility and the passing aggress- the aggressive passing of the, Spain, of the Spanish had been crying for because the middle of the pitch was very, very congested and they needed that one player that, would get, that was going to make off the ball behind the line runs that will pull back the Italian's defenders and create just a, li- a little bit more space for them in the middle of the pack. And this was evidenced by the, one, the, the opportunities that he created for Mikel Oyazabal and also Danny Homo before finally scoring himself in the 88th minute. I will have to say it surprised, it's a, it surprised most people when he was dropped from the starting lineup for the first time in this tournament. And it proved to be a masterstroke from Luis Enrique because the Italian defenders, going by the way that they performed against Belgium, have been traditionally known to eat up center forward with his. And looking at the way they effectively dealt with Romelu Lukaku, a world-class center forward in his own right, Having a Navarro Moreto Morata right from the start will have not proven to be much of a challenge for them. But in play, starting with the first nine confused them. And by the time Navarro Morata came in, 
it it stood to reason that there would have been there would be have been a little bit slow mentally and physically and this was evidenced by the number of the ball runs that Avaro Morata wake and only sometimes being picked out by his teammates. Italy will play in their fourth European final on the back of a run of 33 games unbeaten. They will attempt to win the Euros for the second time since 1968 and it will be quite the redemption story for a country that failed to qualify for the 2018 World Cup for the first time in 60 years. The final will also be Italy's 10th appearance in a major final, but England second. Moving on to the second semi-final, semi-final we have England versus Denmark, with an initial prediction of three, a 3-1 England win. Which eventually, which England eventually won 2 1 after extra time. England also managed to break the fabled ITV course in their win over Denmark. In the last 23 years, England have only won five matches when they were broadcast live on ITV compared to 15 when broadcast on BBC. Regardless of all the fables, England's dramatic win, as I said, came in extra time after the one ended 1 1 in regulation time. Raheem Selling won a controversial penalty after with minimal contact from Matthias Jensen, which Harry Kane duly stepped up to, to dispatch. Initial effort was killed by Kasper Michael, but he's called the rebound to send Wembley Stadium into an uncontrollable frenzy. The result guaranteed that England will play in their first ever Euro final. Denmark started the match confidently while England appeared shaky in defense. The shakiness led to a solid free quick goal in the 30th minute from Mikhail Damsgaard, the first goal from a direct kick, free kick in the entire tournament, as well as the first goal England conceded also in the entire tournament. The goal seemed to shock the English team alive, with England responded with Raheem Sterling looking most dangerous. He was initially denied from six yards out by safe from, from Michael, but he was but he was involved moments later after a lovely case, lovely cross from Bukayo Saka hit the Danish defender and captain Simon Kijaye, and went into the back of the net in the 39th minute. The second half saw half chances from both teams, but the goalkeepers performed well enough to keep the score level heading into extra time. And, uh, and notably speaking, the extra time was a record seventh in Hero Tournament history. And this gives us a final of the Azuris of Italy versus the Three Lions of England. A little pre-match analysis of the final, we gave a prediction of a 2-0 win for Italy. Both teams are expected to stick with the 4-3-3 formation they use in respective semi-final victories. But England have played with a 5-3-2 or 3-5-2 
however you choose to see it in some games, but there's little reason to switch back to that system unless they go up by two goals or more early in the game or if they decide to adopt a defensive mindset. The Azuris have a clear upper hand in midfield, with Jorginho as a blocking six and Variety and Barella in the center. All three are extremely comfortable with the ball, can keep possession easily. The English midfield, on the other hand, is more defensive-minded, with Deccan Rice and Calvin, and Calvin Phillips operating as holding midfielders or double sixes. Mason Mount has the sole responsibility to create something for midfield and link up with the forward line. And despite how good Mason Mount is, I would always say two, it will always be better than one. There's a question whereby the experience of Jordan Henderson from the kickoff will be beneficial, but Rice and Phillies have performed very, very well with some standard performances from both players in the entire tournament. Italy is expected to move the ball more quickly, whereas Rice and Phillips will be more cautious and careful in their movement and passing decisions. Italy would likely press England's back four, plus Rice and Phillips, and and prevent them from launching their attacks from deep. With Italy dominating the midfield and thus the possession, England's best route to penetrating their defense will be from the fullbacks operating wide and fast counter attacks. The loss of Leonardo Spinazzola to injury in the quarterfinal match against Belgium means his replacement, Emerson, is much less of an attacking trend with Lorenzo Insigne. This was evident in the semi-final against Spain when Emerson was replaced by Rafael Toloi in the 74th minute. Spain equalized in the 80th minute. Then Insigne was replaced by Belotti shortly after in the 85th minute. England have a, defense, a dangerous partnership on the left flank with Luke Shaw in top form at fullback and Ryan Sterling operating his at his best in the left forward position as well. The Italian right back Giovanni Di Lorenzo can expect to have a busy night during the match. On the right flank, Kai Walker's strength and pace have been a major asset, but there's a big question mark on no place in front of him. Kai Saka, Jadon Sancho, or Phil Foden. Saka has enjoyed some bright moments in the tournament, but at 19 years old, still a teenager, is still inexperienced at the level of the major final. Saka's willingness to track back and help Walker out with defensive duties makes him appealing to Gary Southgate, who may choose to start him for that reason alone. Depending on the game, on the way the game plays out, either Sancho or Foden can then come on later to close out the match. For the Italian defense, the experienced pair of Giorgio Chiellini and Leonardo Bonucci have superb ability to read the game. In addition to excellent positional awareness, rugged physicality, and the exceptional passing range of Leonardo Bonucci. Hurricane is known to pull into deeper positions away from his markers and then draw the opposing defenses out of the back line thereby creating space for Sterling, Mount, and Saka to move into. That approach might be successful for England, 
as English defensive pair are not blessed with pace. If it doesn't work in England's favour, we can expect Kane to battle it out with Chiellini and Bonucci in the hopes of winning free kicks or maybe even a, a penalty. But that is highly doubtful with the expert way in which Chiellini and Bonucci dealt with a much, in my own opinion, a much stronger Romelu Lukaku. The England defence comprises of Harry Maguire and John Stones, and also sometimes Kyle Walker in the right centre-back position. They have all at different stages looked very composed and confident. The Italian striker Chiro Immobile shouldn't be too much of a threat for them. However, the Italian attack has been at its best, at its most effective, when the wild players have been able to stretch defenses and create space for the other attacking players to move into. This can be evidenced, this can, this couldn't have been more evidenced with the way Lorenzo Insigne called in a beautiful wonder goal against the Belgian team and the way Chiesa broke the heart of the Austrians. Both games, both goals coming from wide players Stretching the defense, giving the ball away, getting it back, and scoring wonderful goals. Federico Chiesa on the right and Lorenzo Insigne on the left are quite willing to move into central areas when Barella joins in the attack. Italy can then flood every channel in their opponent's final third. Outside, outside left, inside left, center forward, inside right, outside right. A key question would therefore be whether Kyle Walker and Shaw find the same occupied by the movements of Insignia and Chiesa, as that will significantly limit their capacity to get forward. In conclusion, there's always a risk of teams playing in a major final cancelling out each other, but if Italy can dominate central midfield and dictate the pace of the game particularly, the match will go to Italy. But England have effective at breaking down flanks with fast-paced counter-attacks. And I will have to say the English team are more athletically blessed in terms of strength and pace more than the Italians. The Italians derive their power from their mobility, from their mobility and as they say, death by a thousand passes. But if the English can make this team about athleticism, and fast-paced counter-attacks, the match will go to England. Nevertheless, it should prove to be a very entertaining match, which could end up being decided by a moment of individual brilliance. So um, thank you for that pre-match, um, pre-final analysis. Now to the post-match analysis for the UEFA Euro 2020 final. So as um, you probably know by now, um, Italy won the final after a 1-1 um, draw after regulation time and extra time. And then they went on to win by penalties, um, three goals to two in favor of Italy. 
So all in all, Gareth Southgate, the England manager, um, is a man of um, divided opinions de- depending on which side you land on at the conclusion of the, the epic, dramatic final. He did what many people advised against by reverting England to a back three. So the England performed wonderfully well with a back four when they played the, the match against Ukraine, um, the quarterfinal match against Ukraine, and then organized a high press, which was very effective in stifling Ukraine. But then against Denmark in the semifinal, they reverted to a back three, which wasn't much of a surprise. But then they, they won that game in extra time, two goals to one, and then they found themselves in the final to play against Italy. So it's it's um, like the saying goes, if something isn't spoiled, don't fix it. A lot of my friends um, from conversations on social media, they, they said they were surprised at some of Garrett Southgate's decisions from the first game of the tournament up until the semi-final. But then because England kept getting results, in the in the group stage, they only scored two goals, but then they ended up with seven points. So his, his defensive tactics was showing results and people had questions during the group stage saying, if you want to prove that you can go far in a tournament, you need to score goals. In the, in the group stage, I think it was only Raheem Sterling that, that scored for England at some point. Um, he scored in two games and then up until the um, round of 16 before Harry Kane scored two goals, then Maguire scored a goal, then Henderson scored a goal. Then everyone now saw that, okay, England actually has players who are capable of scoring, not just Harry Kane and not just Raheem Sterling. However, that wasn't still enough for a lot of tactical-minded pundits who, who say you need to show that you can score from different parts of the field, not just one player operating from the left flank or just one free kick taker or just scoring from penalties alone and so on. So um, Italy went, on the other hand, um, they went on with an unchanged 11 that since the loss of um, Leonardo Spinazzola against Belgium, and I think that was in the quarterfinal, um, and then the replacement of Locatelli with Verratti in the knockout stages. So basically when Verratti became more um, match fit, Locatelli st- stopped starting the, the games. So basically, Italy went with an unchanged 11 that, are, that have played over three hours of football together. Therefore, the chemistry is there. I was telling my wife earlier um, bef- during the, the the afternoon before the match saying, Italy has, they don't need to change formation. They don't need to change personnel. Unlike England, every match that England has played, they've tweaked something in their tactics, formation, and personnel. So, um, Jorginho Azuja ran the midfield for Italy with Verratti and Barella on either side of him. And then the centre-back partnership of Bonucci and Chiellini and then um, up front, there was Immobile as a target man. And then on either side of Immobile, there was Chiesa and Insigne. So as expected, um, England started with seven defensive-minded players. But then they actually started the game brightly. And in the second minute of the game, 
Um, they were rewarded with a with an early goal. Luke Shaw finished a sweeping move with a, a cross from Trippier, and then the 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 goal came in. So of course, as expected, Italy didn't back down. They didn't lose focus. It only spurred them on. I said something on my um, group chat saying that goal is too early for England's good because now Italy would simply execute with even more focus. So a final typically has the first half of the final, both sides checking each other out, looking for weaknesses, looking for what parts of the field they would be stronger in and then try to capitalize on that. But then you have an early goal in the second minute from a team that came out to play defensively. So that just made, in my opinion, that just made Italy's work easier because now they knew what they had to do against this team that was designed to sit back. So, of course, um, the Azuris grew into the game and they seized control and the initiative. But then, to England's credit, they were able to see out the first half and the score remained 1-0 by halftime. So, in the second half, Italy, of course, started pressing high. They, they were regaining possession with basically every touch of the ball and then they pretty much seized control of the match. They were rewarded with an equalizer when Bonucci swept the ball home after an initial save from a corner and so on and so forth. So the, the English team then regained control briefly, but then they were not able to retain possession for long. And then Italy saw out the remainder of the 90 minutes with just very little effort. So extra time was, I mean, as expected, scrappy. Neither team wanted to lose. I mean, of course, obviously. So I would say they, they played the extra time trying not to lose rather than trying to win. And then the substitutions came. Um, Italy brought on like-for-like -like replacements in the full-back positions and then an extra body in the midfield to protect the defense. But then England, on the other hand, um, Gareth Southgate again made some questionable decisions. Some people... Um, said, why would they bring on Rashford and Sancho just for penalties? Meaning there were periods of the, the final two minutes of the extra time where Rashford, an out-and-out -out striker, ended up playing in the right-back position because he, was, he replaced Kyle Walker, who was a right-back. Then Henderson came out, who, who, who is um, actually a penalty kicker for Liverpool, but then he was replaced by Sancho, who is um, who has been recently signed by Manchester United. So during the penalties, um, the Quintos meant they, they would play the penalties in the English um, team end. But then Italy won the course to take the first kick. So Berardi of Italy and Hurricane of England, they dispatched their first kicks. Belotti missed for Italy. Then Maguire scored for England, which put England in the lead. Then Bonucci scored for Italy, which brought the level temporarily. But then Rashford missed for England. Then Benadeshi gave Italy the lead. And then Donnarumma saved Sancho's kick shortly afterwards. Giorgino had the opportunity to win it for Italy, which was basically a, a replay of the 
semi um, semi-final penalties. But this time, Jorginho missed that final kick for Italy. So a three-two with England's final penalty. That meant nineteen-year-old Bukayo Saka had to score to make it level and then take it to sudden death. But then his kick was saved by Donnarumma, and therefore Italy won on penalties, three goals to two. So the results now meant um, Jorginho and Emerson of Chelsea now have two major titles within two months, basically. They won the Champions League in May, and now they've won the European Championship um, in July, less than two months apart. So, I mean, questions should be asked of Gareth Southgate's decisions with the two players he brought on specifically for penalties. Um, I'm not sure how much of a penalty taker is um, Kyle Walker. But then, like I mentioned earlier, Henderson is a usual penalty taker for Liverpool. And then asking a 19-year-old teenager who doesn't have a major final experience, who doesn't have penalty, high-pressure penalty taking experience to take the final penalty um, when there was Raheem Sterling, for example. Um, that's just questionable on so many levels. And I read recently that um, the coach, Gareth Southgate, actually took responsibility for the decision to include Saka as the final ta- um, penalty taker and also to bring on Rashford and um, Sancho just for penalties. So eventually, the best team on the day won the championship. And the Azuris, the Italian team, deservedly won the whole tournament. And um, as there's been so many memes on, on the internet, it's going to Rome. So it's not going home this time around. So that's all we have for episode three of the Two Ball Podcast. The production, editing, and fact-checking were done by Akinola and Bidemio Logende. Audio engineering and graphic design were done by Bidemio Logende. Please join us again on the next episode as we continue with a deep dive on football news, updates, rumors, and analysis. Make sure you subscribe to the Two Ball Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Pandora, TuneIn Radio, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Please share the show with anyone you think might benefit from it. And for questions, comments, or any suggestions, please send an email to throughball10 at gmail.com. Please remember to leave a review for the podcast if your platform allows you to do so. Thank you for your time. See you on the next episode. Bye for now. <laughs>